0: to Tree of Life uh, Congregation. For those of you who have never been here before, we'd like to welcome you wholeheartedly. Uh, My name is Chris. I am normally not up here. Normally Mr. Mike Manning is up here, but he has a well-deserved day off. So he's spending some family time. He's getting together together and um, just relaxing and um, seeking seeking Adonai with his family today. So, Baruch for that. Um, we Last week, we started... Oh, we should start with prayer. Oh, man. That almost was disastrous. Avinu <laughs> Malkinu, our Father, our King, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your Torah, your Word, your Messiah. We thank you that we can gather together in freedom in this place and just worship you as one. We ask that you'd be with us today, that your spirit would continue to fall heavy and afresh upon us today, that we might be encouraged to continue in your, your plan and your will, and that we might go forward into the word, world and proclaim the word of your Messiah, Yeshua. In his name we come before your holy throne. Amen all right so this week we are going to be continuing in our uh verse-by-verse study through the book of shof team obviously we're not going to finish at this time but don't worry we'll get we'll get time for it later uh last week we went through chapters one two and three and an introduction i was told i went way too long and they were right <laughs> so we're going to backpedal a little bit plus the way that we're going to go into it chapter four and chapter five is going to be a whole narrative that we're going to cover And to go into Chapter 6 and start to talk about Gideon is going to be kind of confusing because um, it's kind of going to take away from the narrative that we're going to be in this week. So last week is a quick recap. Oh, what are we doing here? Technical difficulties. Let's try this again. Ah, there we go. So last week, we were taking a look at the big picture. Uh, we have the exodus from Egypt. That's the end of the book of uh, the Torah. Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around because they refused to do it right the first time. They then enter the land. Eventually, a whole new generation enters into the land. They spend time with Yehoshua and Caleb leading the charge and bringing them into the promised land, the land that God promised to them specifically as a people. And then so we have the time of the judges then begins. So this generation dies off that had Caleb and Joshua, and then we see this continued pattern that will will come up in the book of Judges where Israel will do what's right in their own eyes, and then God will punish them, and then he will bring them back because they repent, and then he will give them blessings once again. So, this is going to be a continuing theme as we go through. So, we learned about Joshua. So, Joshua begins a conquest. Last week, we learned about Othniel. Now, if you remember Othniel, he defeated the king of Aram, and he ushered in 40 years of peace. Great guy. Good job, Othniel. The next guy was Ehud. Remember, we got a little PG-13 as we talked about Ehud. Ehud killed Eglon king of Moab and remember he did that he took his 18 inch sword because he was a left hander took his sword and he stabbed it into King Eglon's belly because he was a big man and the whole sword just it was engulfed by the flesh the fat of Eglon and he died there so Ehud ushers in 80 years of peace. good job Ehud then we heard about Shamgar the very end remember Um, it was like two sentences long we hear about the third judge, Shamgar, but this man, he killed 600 Philistine with an ox goad. So that means at some point, Shamgar was out in the field tending his ox, maybe, who knows, maybe he's tending the sheep, I don't know for sure, but he has an ox goad, he sees the Philistine coming, and there's 600 of them, and he miraculously takes care of them all. Uh, we're not told very much about Shamgar, as you remember, Um, He will actually come up in our Torah portion this week in a song, which is pretty cool. So we find out that Shamgar, we're not exactly sure when he was judging, but he was judging sometime between the time before Ehud passes on and the time when our next judge, Deborah, is going to take and start to, to take care of things as well. So, like I said before, there's this continual thing that we're going to see happen. Adonai brings them into the land because they're his chosen people. They're going to come in in peace. They're going to become apathetic towards the word of God, which is going to lead to sin. They're going to be oppressed by the nations around them, and they're going to be judged then they're going to be delivered, because and I will raise up a judge to deliver them, and then they'll go to peace once again. And the big thing that we have to remember as we stay looking in the book of Judges, or any book within the Tanakh, is that simply because the Israelites are doing something wrong in the eyes of Hashem does not mean that he has not chosen them as his people. They will forever be his people. And I think the main thing that we need to take about from it, especially as a Gentile, the main thing I take about it is, If the chosen people can fall, guess who's going to be more prone to fall? This guy. So we really want to be careful as we go through that we don't throw Israel under the bus because Adonai is actually using them as an example for us in our own lives to learn from. So go ahead, turn with me to the book of Shoftim, or Judges, chapter 4. And we're going to be on page 273 in the blue, uh, complete Jewish Bible that's in your pews there. So after Ehud, judge number two, had died, the people of Israel again began uh, did what was evil from Adonai's perspective. So Adonai handed them over to Yavin, king of the Canaan. He ruled from Hetzor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Haroshet Hagoyim. The people of Israel cried out to Adonai because he had 900 iron chariots. And for 20 years, he cruelly oppressed the people of Israel. As we continue our journey through the book of Judges, we're going to see that God is going to continue to be faithful and deliver his people when they call out to him. But we're going we're to see that they become more and more apathetic and accepting <laughs> to the culture around them and the sin that was in that culture. We're going to see them. So they started off, hey, they went eight years. And then they cried out and they said, this isn't good, we need to go back. And then they went 10 years and then they cried out. No, they went 20 years and then they cried out. The time span's going to become longer and longer. And we see that true in our own lives today, how easy it is to become apathetic each time we fall to sin. Well, this time I think I'm a little stronger. I can probably put up with it and tolerate it a little more. It's not the case. You know, the Bible would tell us that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow, because you know what happens if you keep saying, I'm going to wait till tomorrow? You're never going to do it. You got to do it today. What's really interesting is we see a parallel between this week's parasha and uh, this book of Judges, this chapter in Judges. We see that this king, Yavin, treated them cruelly. We see the same Hebrew word in this week's parashah. The Pharaoh treated, he didn't only treat them as slaves in Egypt, he treated them cruelly. He belittled them. He mocked their very God that they worship. Same thing is happening here. And oh, I'm getting all excited, getting some goosebumps. We're gonna see some awesome parallels as we go on into chapter five with this week, or I'm sorry, not this week's parashah, but parashah in four weeks, I believe it is. So now, Deborah, a woman and a prophet, the wife of Lapidot, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under Deborah's palm between Ramah and Baal in the hills of Ephraim. And the people of Israel would come to her for judgment. So this is really cool. So we have a woman standing as a judge. Um, you know, Quite often in our societies, or it seems in times past, insecurity can arise. And when we're uncomfortable with whom we think who should or should not be in a position, we can often play sometimes the race card or sometimes the the gender card. Well, women should not do that. Well, a man should not do that. Well, this person or that person should not do that. We can think of a thousand and one reasons why somebody should not be put in a particular position. But you know, when it comes down to brass tacks, Adonai is in control. He has a plan, he has an order, and he will get things done according to his plan. Part of his plan in this is that he's going to have a woman rise up as a judge. Now, this is an awesome thing, that there is a woman who's like, you know what, I'm going to take the reins. Adonai, you can use me today. And he's like, I like you, Deborah, you're it. It's also kind of a black eye, because that means at this point in the time, there seems to be no man who's able to stand up for Adonai to use to judge the people. And Deborah's going to point that out as well as we continue on. She's going to say to this male who's going to come and help her out that, hey, you know what? I'm glad you're going to go, but because of what the choice you're going to make, you're not going to get the glory, and that's not the right way that things should go. Because we remember from gan Don, that's what happened there. You know, and the. the Adam went and and Chava, they went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they took of the fruit. But Eve took fruit first, the Bible tells us, because she was deceived. And because of that, the repercussion was that Adonai said, Eve, I love your girl, but from this point on, you're gonna desire to be in control. But you know what? The pro- proper way that it works is that the husband let him take the lead. That means if something goes wrong, it's his fault. It's not yours. Let him take the blame. Let me deal with him. Let me deal with him. You're gonna to want to, because you know he's kind of a knucklehead sometimes. But you know, let him take the lead, because if things go bad, I'm gonna deal with him, and you'll be blessed just because you followed him, even if it was kind of a not the best choice. So this verse is very interesting. So we have Devorah, Deborah, Deborah, and when we look at it, we say that she's a woman and a prophet. In some translations, it calls her a prophetess. But then it says the wife of Lapidot. Now, the way the Hebrew is written in here is super interesting. I promised Miss Beth I'd be careful with my Hebrew this week. (laughs) So we have (laughs) Ishet, right? Did I get that right? Ishet, thank you. Lapidot. So this is a woman, Deborah, who is shet lapidot. Now, the interesting thing is we see this word eshet used twice in this one sentence. And the reason, as we look in the Talmud, we're told by the rabbis that the words barak and lapidot both connate flashes of lightning and are used interchangeably. This is super interesting because the dude who's going to rise up and actually be the general, his name is barak. So the rabbis presume that we could have two things happening here first of all we have this woman uh this woman uh, deborah she is a fiery woman and you have to be if you're going to be a judge you gotta be you know spit fire on top of it get it done now you know when i think of a woman like deborah the first woman that pops to my mind is like heather leach oh man she's a deborah you're like heather what do you think about this well the bible says this and you need to do it and don't challenge it yes ma'am Thank you very much. Very spitfire. So we see two possibilities here. You know that, so either she's a fiery woman or that she's married to a man whose name is fiery. So it's very possible that we're seeing a marriage judgment here. The two people working together to fulfill one one rule here, one, 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 one role I mean, and you know, as we come to the Torah, sometimes you come to these points and you say, well, can it be this? And you're like, you know what? Yes, it can be that. Well, can I interpret as this? Well, yes, that's not a wrong interpretation either. This is a perfect example. We've come to a point where we see as we look into the Hebrew that she can be a fiery woman and she can also be married to a man whose name means fiery as well. Very cool. I love the Hebrew. And I love that Miss Beth and Miss Sue keep me on point with it, making sure I'm going the right way with it. So she sent for Barak, the son of Avinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Adonai has given you this order. Go march to Mount Tavor and take with you 10,000 men from the people of Naphtali and Zavulin. I will call Sisera the commander of Yavin's army to encounter you at, Kishon, at the Kishon River with his chariots and troops, and I will hand him over to you. Barak answered her, if you go with me, I'll go, but if you won't go with me, I won't go. She replied, yes, I will gladly go with you, but the way you're doing it will bring you no glory, because Adonai will hand Sisera over to a woman. Then Deborah set out and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zavulan and Naphtali to come to Kadesh. So turn with me quickly to the book of Kohalat. Uh, we we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit into marriage, not too deep, just a little bit, just a little surface here. Since we're looking at these two, the more, the, you know, the more times I read over this, the more I'm, I'm really starting to side with the rabbis. I can really see that this is a marriage union going out together. I mean, Devorah says, hey, will you go out with me? Or excuse me, he says, will you go, go out with me? And she says, I'll gladly go with you. For you, honey, I would do anything. You know, I kind of like that. That's kind of, I I love that feeling. And I do think that Adonai is trying to paint a picture here because we're going to see a a drastic um, reflection of what happens with the song of the sea in this moment as this whole battle takes place. So Kohelet says, two are better than one and that their cooperative efforts yield this advantage. If one of them falls, the other will help his partner up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to help him up again. If two people sleep together, they will keep each other warm. But how can one person be warm by himself? Moreover, an attacker may defeat someone who is alone, but who can resist him? And a three-stranded cord is not easily broken." It's very interesting. One of my life verses, I guess you could call it, growing up was 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, don't be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. And um, I struggled a lot with um, particular sins, you know, girlfriend after girlfriend after girlfriend. And finally, when Adam and I finally grabbed a hold of me, um, this verse has just been melted into my brain. And I started to live my life by that, that, hey, in the endeavors I take in my life, in marriage and in work and all these other opportunities I have, um, try my best to not be unequally yoked together with the person that I'm with. The reason why the scripture would say that is if you take the picture of an ox or a, a team that's going to go do and plow, you have two oxen. If you have one ox who's big and one ox who's small, they, they're unequally yoked together. You're going to end up going in a circle And one of the ox is gonna end up either getting trampled or they're gonna get so tired, they're gonna be beat to death because they aren't able to keep up. And I praise God every day for the fact that I have a loving wife who is, I believe, equally yoked with me. Thank you very much, honey. It's a shout out to you. And so we need to look forward to these things. And even when we look at and we say, okay, well, you know, Chris, that's all well and good, but you know, I'm not married. and or, or my uh, spouse passed away, or I'm, I'm older now, I'm not planning on getting married again. That's fine, that's fine, because you know who we are married to. Yeah, you know, Messiah. He is our bridegroom, he is there for us. So these very same things, we take these into consideration as we look at our relationship with our, our Messiah every day. What's cool is that Barak saw that he was missing something. So he's not chastised that he's doing the wrong thing by asking Deborah to go down with him. But he realized that he was missing the spiritual side. Because remember, the judges, as we look at them, they have two sides. They have a spiritual side that brings the people of Israel to repentance. And then they have a deliverance side that delivers them from their enemies. And so it is a wise man or woman who understands when they are lacking in an area and go to Hashem, for the help that they need. We see the same thing in, in Eov or Job. David had us there early this earlier. And uh, so chapter 2 of Job, we see when the adversary went out from the presence of Adonai and struck Eov down with horrible infected sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, he took a piece of broken pot and scratched himself and sat down in a pile of ashes. His wife asked him, Why do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, what a woman. But he answered her, You're talking like a low-class woman. Are we to receive the good at God's hand but reject the bad? In all this, Yov did not say one sinful word. So what's interesting is so the book of Yov, it's a long book. So in the beginning, he has his family, he has his wealth, he's a very good merchant. And then all of a sudden, Adonai allows the adversary to come to him and take it all away. His children die, he loses his wealth, his camels are struck by lightning on a hill and they all die. The only thing he is left with is his wife. She's not helping the situation. She's not helping the situation. But what's really cool is the wife only says one thing curse God and die, and then she shuts her mouth. Now, Job has three friends who come along and start continually talking to him for the next 30 chapters. They don't shut their mouth, they keep going and they accuse Job and they say, Hey, Job, you're not perfect. God has done this to you because you did something wrong. And Job's like, dude, I didn't. I didn't. I did nothing wrong. And his wife is silent in the background. We get to the end of the book of Job, and it comes to the point where Adonai steps in and says, okay, Job, I love you, but you need to stop now. You're getting too close to denying me. And he says, I want you to pray for your friends, and then I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to bless you. Job prays for his friends, and then Adonai begins to bless Job and his wife and they have 10 children, and he gets double the amount of wealth that he had before. The wife learned something. She watched Job live his life, and she said, you are right, Job. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stick it out with you, and in the end, she was blessed because of it. We're, we're all learning. You know, we're all learning at some point, and Job's wife learned so that's so cool. So we see Barak learned that he needed the spiritual side to go down with him. And Job learned, Job's wife learned that she needed that spiritual side, that connection, that understanding of Adonai. So back into Shoftim, into Judges, verse 10, 10,000 men followed him and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenai had cut himself off from the rest of Cain, the descendants of Hovav, Moshe's father-in-law. He had pitched his tent near the oak at Anim, which is close to Kadesh. Cicero was informed that Barak, the son of Avinoam, had gone up to Mount Tavor. So Cicero rallied his chariots, all 900 iron chariots. I, could you imagine? That, that's like basically like going up against 900 tanks today. So hey, we got 10,000 armed farmers going up against 900 armored tank divisions. I mean, that's, that's an intense thing that's going to happen here. And all the troops, uh, so Cicero brought all the 900 iron chariots and all the troops he had with him from Haroshet HaGoyim to the Kishon River. Does this sound familiar? Pharaoh chases Moshe and the children of Israel, and how much of his army does he bring? All of it. So we see some similarities developing here. So Devarah said to Barak, Get going! This is the day when Adonai will hand Sisera over to you. Adonai has gone out ahead of you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And Adonai threw Sisera, all his chariots, and his entire army into a panic before Barak's sword. So that Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. This panic is brought by a torrent of water. Pretty cool. But Barak pursued the chariots of the army all the way to Heroshet Hagoyim, so where they came from. Sisera's entire army was put to the sword. Not one man was left. However, Sisera ran on foot to the tent of Jael, or Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite because there was peace between Yavin and the king of Hatzor and the family of Havir, the Kenani. Now Yael went out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, Come in, my lord, stay here with me, and don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket, and he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. Yeah, I bet he's thirsty. He's been battling all day. He's run away from it. This dude is parched. He's thirsty. So she opened a goat skin of milk. Mm, Nothing says quench my thirst like warm goat's milk. Mm. Gave him some to drink and covered him up again. He said to her, stand at the entrance of the house, or the tent, excuse me, and if anyone asks you if somebody is here, say no. But when he was deeply asleep, Yael, the wife of Haver, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand, crept into him quietly, and drove the tent peg into his temple right through to the ground so that he died without waking up. Whew, talk about a fiery woman. (laughs) Wow, we got two strong women in this this book going on right now. So this is, uh, I have no words for this. This is intense what this woman has just done. So here is Barak pursuing Sisera, and Yael comes out to meet him and says, Come, I will show you the man you, you are looking for. He goes into her tent, and there is Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. Thus God in that day defeated Yavin, the king of the Kenanin, and the presence of the people of Israel, the hand of the people of Israel, came down more and more heavily against Yavin, the king of the Kenanin until they had completely destroyed Yavin, the king of the Kenanan. So, Yael, I, I know a, a family who named their daughter Jael. Man, that, that takes a lot of guts, man. That, that almost sounds like you're, you're setting yourself up for a fiery girl when she gets older. But man, Adonai uses all types, doesn't he? You know, it's interesting, and still today in that area with the Bedouin tribes, the women still set up the tents. So as they go out, the women do that heavy work, and they take these pegs, man, and they're sharp, and they bang, you know. So this is, this is not a weak woman at all. I, I love this. This is, almost like, um, this is almost like feminism done right. You know, we see these awesome women here, Deborah and JL, and um, God has called them to fulfill a role. And he says, you got to do something, and I'm going to empower you to do it. And they do it. This is is the way it should be done. We follow Adonai's command. We follow what he's got for us in our lives. So then we get to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is where we really start having some fun here. Because this is where we start seeing the similarities between this book and the book, um, or excuse me, this section in the book of Judges and the song of Moshe. So on that day, verse 1, Deborah and Barak sing the song of Avinoam, and they sang this song. Now, this right here, no, this is not the song of Moshe from the Torah scroll. This is the song of Deborah, what we see up here. For those of you who know the Torah students in here, as you've seen the Torah scroll, when we get to the song of Moshe, it looks just like this. It looks just like this. So we have two, in the Bible, we have two areas where we have Hebrew narrative battle pro. Battle poems. So basically, what that means is it's not just a song that talks about how God won war. It actually is a song that says how God won the war and he delivered his people of Israel. So we're going to see that in a few weeks when we get to the Song of Moshe. And then we see that right here in the Book of Judges with the Song of Deborah. This is what our Torah scroll looks like. This isn't our Torah scroll, but this is what the Torah scroll looks like. They're exactly the same. So what's really cool is that when you look at this, so you see. One side here and one side here, that represents the waves or the the sea that rose up. And then in the middle, you see the children of Israel crossing on dry land. So when we get to that Torah portion, come up here and talk to Miss Beth. She will be more than happy to show it to you because it is so cool. when we see that in our Torah school. So when the leaders of Israel... So Deborah's continuing on in her song. I'm not going to sing it, and I don't know how it's sung, so I'm just going to read it. When the leaders of Israel dedicated themselves, or dedicate themselves, and the people volunteer, you should all bless Adonai. Hear, kings, listen, princes. I will sing to Adonai. I will sing praise to Adonai, the God of Israel. That is what we need today in our country, isn't it? We need our leaders to dedicate themselves. Because as leaders, when we dedicate ourselves to Adonai and we try to follow his ways and his rulings, then the people will naturally volunteer to help out. You know. So whatever you are in your life, wherever you are in your life, whether it's at work, whether it's in your home, whether it's here at Tree of Life, if you are in a capacity of leading people, dedicate yourself first wholly to Adonai and when you struggle finding those people that you need to fill holes they will come out of the woodwork so adonai when you went out from Sierra, when you marched out from the field of edom the earth quaked and the sky shook yes the clouds poured down torrents the mountains melted at the presence of adonai at sinai before Adonai, the God of Israel. So it's really cool to see these things just kind of popping together. Deborah, man, she's a woman that is just on fire for Adonai. She's done her Torah study. She knows what happens when they were brought out of Israel, or excuse me, out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt. And so she is really bringing things home here. In the days of Shamgar, remember, Shamgar was judge number three. All we heard was that he killed 600 people with an ox goad the son of Anat, in the days of, of Ya'el, so we know he was around during the days of Ja'el, the main roads were deserted. Pe- travelers walked the byways. The rulers ceased in Israel. They ceased until you arose. Deborah arose a mother in Israel. So we see some more things. So Deborah's expounding upon this whole situation here. It gotten so bad in Israel that people were afraid to walk along the main roads because they were afraid they were going to get jumped and they were going to get all their stuff stolen from them. And what I love is that she points out that she is a mother in Israel. Don't mess with the mama bear. Don't get between her and her kids, man. So we could see, those of you who are mothers, you know that feeling that you get when someone says something bad about your child. You're like, excuse me? Yeah, no, I could say something bad about my children, but you have no right. So we had this fiery spirit within Deborah. They chose new gods when war was at the gates. Ugh, not good. Was there a shield or spear to be seen among Israel's 40,000 men? My heart goes out to Israel's leaders and to those among the people who volunteer. All of you, bless Adonai. So we see from Deborah's account that there were, the leadership was lacking in Israel at that time. Hence, Adonai said, who will work for me? And Devorah said, I will do it. You who ride with white donkeys, sitting on soft saddle blankets, and you walking on the road, talk about it. Louder than the sound of archers at the watering hole with the sound as if they retell, as they retell the righteous acts of Adonai, the righteous acts of his rulers in Israel. So she's calling out the rulers. She says, you're, you, you're going around in all your pomp and your sass and you're, um, you're not doing what you need to be doing for Israel. You're not calling it out the way it needs to be. So Adonai's people march down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah! Awake, break into song. Arise, Barak! Lead away your captives, son of Avinoam. Then the remnant of the nobles marched down. The people of Adonai marched down to me like warriors from Ephraim. Came those, roosted, excuse me, rooted in Amalek. Behind you, Benjamin is with your people from Machir. The commanders marched down and from Zavulin, those holding the musterer's staff. The princes of Yisachar were with Devarah. Devarah, Yisachar, along with Barak, into the valley they rushed forth behind him. So we see that they fought all the way from the northern part of Israel all the way down through the valley of Jezreel, and this whole situation ends in the valley of Megiddo. So we see them going from comparing to the song of Moshe crossing, crossing the sea, The Red Sea, and now she's prophesying into the future when there will come another time when another battle will end in the valley of Megiddo as well. Among the divisions of Ru'aven, they made great resolutions in their hearts. But why did you stay at the pens for the sheep and listen to the shepherd's flute playing for the flocks? Concerning the divisions of Ru'aven, there were great searchings of hearts. These guys couldn't make up their minds. They're like, do we go now? We see the battle taking place, or do we wait? What do we do? Gilead lives beyond the yard, and Dan, why does he stay by the ships? Asher stayed by the shore of the sea, remaining near its bays. The people of Zavulin risked their lives. Naphtali, too, on the open heights. Kings came, they fought. Yes, the kings of Canaan fought with Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they took no spoil of silver. They fought from heaven, the stars in their courses. Yes, they fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept them away, that ancient river, the Kishon River. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. Then the horses' hoofs pounded the ground, their mighty steeds galloping at full speed. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of Adonai. Curse the people living there with a bitter punishment for not coming to help Adonai, to help Adonai against the mighty warriors. You know, the continuing theme we've seen is that God has a plan. That, that, that is the whole theme as we go through the, the entire Bible, is God has a plan for his people, Israel, and he has a plan for each one of us in our lives. And in this uh, discourse here, this song from Deborah, we see bad reasons or excuse me, bad responses to God's plan. You have Dan. They ran away to their ships. They're not even in the land of Israel anymore. They're in ships. Whoops. Back it up. There we go. We have Asher. He's hiding in his safe harbor. He didn't come to the battle. We have Reuben. Reuben's duplicitous. That means he listened. He watched that the battle was happening, and he's like, I'm going to wait till they're winning, and then I'm going to go. So he wants the glory, but he doesn't want to take part in the battle. And Deborah calls him out and says, Okay, guys, this isn't how this works. And then we have the city of Meraz. And Meraz, they are truant to the core. Truant means one who shirks their responsibilities. This city of Meraz was where the battle began. If there's a battle taking place and people are invading your land you should be the first one to get up and battle if there's an issue in our country we should be the first ones to rise up and say there's something wrong we need to help fix it and the city everyone else who ran away and who waited to the last minute or hid that can be forgiven but these people who did nothing when they should have done something they're cursed because of it so jael would be blessed more than all women the wife of Hever, the Kenite will be blessed more than any woman in the tent. He asked her for water, and she gave him milk. And it's, it's not just milk. This is more like because it's in goat goatskin, we see that it's actually like yogurt. So, I mean, imagine, you know, you get all this yogurt in you after a battle, and it just kind of sits heavy. He asked for water. She gave him milk. And in an elegant bowl, she brought him curds. Then she took a tent peg in her left hand and a workman's hammer in her right hand. And with the hammer, she struck Sisera, pierced his skull. Yes, she shattered and crushed his temple. She sank down, or he sank down at her feet. He fell and lay there. He sank at her feet. He fell. Where he sank down, there he fell dead. Sisera's mother looks out of the window, peering out through the lattice. She wonders, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why are his horses slow to return? The wisest of her ladies answers her, and she repeats it to herself. Of course, they're collecting and dividing the spoil. A girl, two girls for every warrior. For Sisera, booty of dyed clothing, a plunder of colorfully embroidered garments, two embroidered scars for every soldier's neck. And Deborah says, yeah, that's not what happened. But Adonai, may all your enemies perish like this. Adonai, but may those who love him be like the sun going forth in its glory. Then the land had rest for 40 years. So cool that this happens. I mean, it's not cool for their enemies, but it's cool that Adonai delivers them and keeps his promise. So the book of John chapter four says, Yeshua said to them, And this, what's awesome is, I think David brought it up today, the woman at the well. How'd you know I was going to end up here, David? Baruch Hashem. You know, so the woman at the well, uh, Yeshua is walking with his disciples. They stop at, at, oh, I'm having a little brain lapse here. I'm sorry, What? Yes, thank you, Samaria. They stop at Samaria to get some food. Yeshua meets a woman at the well. He asks her to give her water. She says, "What, what are you asking me, a Samaritan woman, water for? Because Jews don't interact with Samaritans, which was absolutely true at the time. And he says, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for the living water. So then he goes and he tells her about the things that are wrong in her life. And, he's, and she goes then into the city and she tells the people and they come out. And just like David said, they say, hey, you know, we've listened to Messiah. And now we believe that he is the Messiah, not because of the testimony you had, but because we've heard him ourselves. So this is where this picks up. So his disciples finally come around and um, Yeshua says to them, my food is to do what the one who sent me wants and to bring his work to completion. Don't you have a saying, four more months and then the harvest? Well, what I say to you is, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're already ripe for the harvest. The one who reaps receives his wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the reaper and the sower may be glad together. A lot of times in our lives, it's easy to say, well, I don't feel like God's called me to do something. I don't, I don't know if I, he has a plan for me. I haven't heard an audible voice from above that has helped me. And we see from this very scripture here that Messiah tells us we're all called already. You're, you're on board. You've got a calling. The plan of God for your life is to share the good news that Messiah has come and made a way for us to come back to defeat death and to become one with Messiah and with God. We just need to be careful that as we do, start to step out in a plan that God has for us, is that we don't act like Dan, Asher, Reuben, in the city of Meraz. When Adonai says, hey, you know, there's this thing I want you to do. I want you to go to this soup kitchen. That you don't say, you know, I'm just going to run away. I don't have time, okay? Adonai says, hey, I want you to wake up. I want you to study the word of God with me first thing in the morning. Adonai, I don't have time. Really? You had time last night to watch two hours of a TV show. I want you to get involved with Tree of Life. Adonai, I don't have time. You know, I'm a hot mess. And he says, yes, you're right. You are a hot mess. That's why I need you to help out, because everyone's a hot mess, and we need each other. Perfect examples. But you know what's awesome? Is they screw up today, but they won't mess up tomorrow, because somebody else is going to do it. You know, so there's always hope for all of us. So in the day that Adonai calls us, or calls you, or calls me to do something, just do it. Because if you say, tomorrow, I'll do it, and then you say, tomorrow, I'll do it, tomorrow will never come. Today is the day for us to do something. Today is the day for us to bring tikkun olam into the world. Adonai, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask that you would bless us as we continue on into our day, and that you would you know, just help us to bring a restoration. Restoration between us, between family members, between friends. Restor-tri- restoration between us and the broader world of believers that are out there. Help us to not shirk our responsibilities. That we would go headlong and go forward to do the things that you've called us to do. B'shem Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua we pray, Amen.